You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. Hello, Are You Happy Podcast. I'm here today with Jess Kirkman. She's been in the marketing slash creative industry for 20 years now. And the past seven years, she's actually worked at Taco Bell as the global executive creative director. So if you've noticed any of the recent um, efforts from a marketing standpoint from uh, from Taco Bell, um, I know I have. I know they've been doing really well with that as of recent. They've all been, she's touched a lot of that stuff. So um, this is Jess, the woman behind a lot of the marketing efforts that Taco Bell has been doing. Um, Jess, I don't want to talk too much about you. I want to give you the opportunity to tell a little bit about your story from your perspective. Um, can you give us your journey, your background, how you got here to where you are now, and just let us know what position you're in right now and what's next? Yeah. Hello. Yes, I would love to. So I actually have always been a creative, started in kindergarten drawing what I want to be when I grow up and actually drew an artist with an easel. And I can say uh, I'm an iteration of that now, but I'm from upstate New York, grew up up there. And then the natural progression after going to school in Syracuse and going for communication design, which is kind of a fancy name for graphic design is to move to New York City. That's what everyone was doing. So I lived in New York City for about 12 years, working at different agencies, uh, different type of branding agencies, digital, social, all of that stuff, influencer marketing when it first started. I actually worked for an agency originally called Mr. Youth, which was one of the first uh, youth marketing agencies. And youth marketing back then really just meant Facebook marketing because it was all brand new. And so got my hand in that world very early on. And then after doing that for some time and building up the creative agency teams and the design team at my last agency, I was asked to work at Taco Bell, move across the country from New York to California and help them build their first ever in-house agency and bring a lot of that creative in-house and lead a team. And I helped build a team from about 15 people to over 65 and a lot of lessons along the way. But aside from all of that Taco Bell goodness and creative stuff that makes me, you know, money and sports my lifestyle, I'm also a visual artist. I have an uh, Instagram account, Manifest Jess, where I teach fluid art. Uh, I teach artists how to be confident in themselves. So it kind of overlaps between my career and and my work life into my passion projects and my my personal life. So I've been in California about seven years now, enjoying that beach life. And that's where I'm at. And I'm currently in between successes. I I left Taco Bell in February and have been in this interesting in-between state as I'm uh, progressing to my next venture. That's so awesome. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. I'm so privileged and grateful. Um, My question to you is, you sort of, this doesn't happen with a lot of, uh, too many people, but it happens with a lot of people of when their hobby kind of turns into a job. Um, and then they start to like tie their happiness to mm-hmm. their job and their career. So I know for me personally, um, I, there's hobbies that I'm like new hobbies that I'm getting. And like, for example, rock climbing. And, um, I kind of keep it to myself and not, and try not to like, reach my natural inclination to be competitive and maybe join a team and start making my work because I understand the value of keeping your hobby as your hobby. Um, Mm -hmm. So what is it like um, having your hobby as a job? 
<laughs> well, I would say one, it's amazing to get to do what I've always wanted to do and make money doing it. I think that's kind of the goal of what we're all trying to do in life. But with that comes the need for necessary boundaries. And I think that's really been the lesson of what parts of being a creative do I bring into my job and help other creatives uh, accomplish? And what parts do I have to leave for myself? What parts do I have to leave for my passion and my, my home life? And I'm a little different where, you know, I'm not an, a full-time fine artist. I, I'm able to have fine art on the side as a hobby and then do more of a corporate career. And so I think just the difference in that has helped me keep a boundary, but there's been some really nice overlap. But I do think you just need to make sure that if you invest all of your creative energy into something that also is your full-time job, what is the boundary between the natural outlet and being vulnerable and, and the creative expression side and versus the business side of it, marketing yourself, selling things. So I think boundaries are important. I agree. I totally agree. Um, Cause a lot of people don't realize that creative work, like being creative and thinking creative thoughts and brainstorming things like that. It's like, it strains your brain. Like it's, it's like actual work. So like when you're in a creative job, I know like I am like, even when work ends and five o'clock hits and it's over, like I'm still brainstorming the rest mm -hmm. of the day, like almost all the time. And that's yeah. a lot. It's like, it takes a toll. And like people who have like regular corporate jobs, like maybe an accountant or whatever, don't, I feel like they don't necessarily have that. Yeah. They have it's stress, really funny. But not so yeah. It's funny you're saying that because the, the job of a creative is never over and it could always be better and it could always be better. And we joke around whether it's, fine art or whether it's a marketing piece, unless there's a deadline, it could go on forever. And I sometimes envy the jobs, like you mentioned an accountant or something where there's a finality to their workday or even to a problem that they're solving, there's an answer. And with creativity, there is no answer. There's a million answers. And that's where, you know, collaboration and group uh, teamwork, deciding what the answer is together, that's really uh, where it all goes. So I think it's a matter of just making sure that, um, yeah, that you have those proper boundaries there. I agree. It's hard. It's hard to create because like, it's hard to like really create the boundaries in terms of your own creative thinking. And like when work's over, you're done, unless you're like distracted by family or friends and you're hanging out with people. Like, I think my most creative thoughts happen when I'm like in between, maybe I'm on a run, um, like the, and, and maybe I want to walk or whatever it may be, but it's like, I'm not working at those times. So I probably really shouldn't be picking up my thinking with work or creative things, but that's when the best creative thoughts happen for me. Um, and I'm sure that happens for other people too. Um, I would like to learn a little bit, but a little bit more about your Instagram page. Cause I looked it up before and you have 70,000 followers and your art is really good. Um, you. Uh, have you, you said you coached or uh, you're coaching other people on how to do it too? Or Yeah. So the Instagram, you know, back in 2015, 16, when Instagram was kind of blowing up and people were being really experimental with it, I was trying a new medium. And what most of my medium is called alcohol ink. It's an alcohol-based uh, pigment. So unlike watercolor, it's alcohol-based. So it dries really quickly and 
it's something a lot of people weren't using. And I think I was one of the first people on Instagram to really post my experiments. And there was never an end goal for me. I was really just posting that vulnerable side that we were just talking about my tests, my experiences. And so because not a lot of people were doing it with that specific medium at the time, and it was also a very prime time for Instagram, uh, I, I gained a following of people that were really interested to learn and grow. And so aside from my full-time job in, in marketing, I found that a lot of people were asking me questions and wanted to learn the medium. So I ended up posting workshops, either group workshops, single lessons. I've hosted over Zoom over COVID the past couple of years. You know, I've had up to 30 people in a Zoom class. I actually, Taco Bell allowed me to host an alcohol ink workshop at the organization and there was 150 people in there. So it's kind of blended my worlds, but yeah, it's allowed me to to also be a mentor and a, and a teacher as well. So that's been a really fun discovery. A lot there. I want to talk a little bit about social media and your perspective on it because you've been in the industry for a very long time, and you just mentioned how you um you were on Instagram at a time where it was easier to grow, and now there's like this new TikTok mm-hmm. thing where it's like was a lot easier to grow, and through time it's coming less. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would you mind? Uh, I have questions on that, but I also yeah. want to mention and ask about like what's the most fulfilling piece of what you do and because obviously you're in an in-between phase right now. You were for Taco Bell and now you're in between successes, like you said. Um, so what is like, where's your head at um, with like your future? Do you plan to, because fine art seems like it's something that you really enjoy doing. Um, is this something you might potentially build a business around that for yourself or like, where's your head at? Because obviously yeah. you want to be doing something that is like really, really fulfilling to you if you're going to create a business around it. Yeah. Well, I think it comes back to the first question is like, do I really want to do my art full time? And I've had a lot of people ask me that like, oh, is your goal to become an artist and let go of the corporate career? And honestly, the answer is no, I'm kind of keeping my art sacred. And of course I do make money off of it. And that kind of pays the grocery bills and some extra expenses for fun. But my goal with Instagram was never to become, you know, what we know of like an influencer now and and make a full career out of it, unless it pivoted to workshops or something else. But I kind of like the, the, the separate lives that I have between the two. And sometimes people don't even know I have the Instagram when I'm at work or a lot of people on my Instagram don't realize I have a full-time job. And a lot of people have asked me about, Hey, how are you doing being a full-time artist? And I actually have to tell them that I'm not. So I actually think I want to keep them separate. It gives me an outlet that is a safe space for me. That's like the most essential pieces, like having an outlet, having that mental health piece is always like a priority in life. Cause if you can't have that safe space, you don't have those resources for yourself. Then, like you might not even be able to work and do the other work they need to do. Um, if it, if it, if you have like mental health stuff they need to take care of and, yeah, these outlets, it's important to like keep them sacred. Um, so I definitely see where you're coming from with that. Um, do you, so where are you at now? Do you have any, um, like, is there a certain space you want to enter, um, certain mm-hmm. industry do you want to stay in marketing? Definitely going to stay in marketing and creative. What I do best is really help brands come to life in new ways. So that's part of my passion as well. So it's not just 
being an artist in terms of painting, it's being a creative in terms of problem solving. So any kind of brand that needs to try and stay relevant in new ways and push the boundaries, it interests me. And that's why Taco Bell was such a fun seven years because they're super rebellious in the way they approach marketing. So I think wherever I end up next, and I think I'm pretty close somewhere soon, is to jump in somewhere and push them and really take some risks, creative risks, and make people a little uncomfortable. And that's the the best part of being a creative is to kind of get a reaction and an emotion out of people. That's awesome. You have a very interesting perspective. I'm excited to see what's next for you. Um, I do want to go back to the question I had earlier when you mentioned the social media and how you're able to build your Instagram page um, because there, it was an environment to be able to build those followers. Yeah. Can you can you talk on like where you think potentially TikTok is going? Um, like, do you think it's going to be more profile based, individual based, and more difficult to grow? Yeah, like, what's your perspective on social media through time and where yeah. you see social media going? Well, obviously. Um, TikTok has changed the landscape dramatically just in terms of what kind of content people are looking for, what kind of content people are looking for from individuals versus brands as well. I think we went through a shift during the pandemic, which was millennials and even the elder. I'm a geriatric millennial, if you want to say that, but millennials kind of ruled the roost for a long time. And what millennials were all about was individuality and perfection and these curated feeds and really putting forth a very specific brand. And over the pandemic and over the shift to the Gen Z kind of ruling the roost, uh, taking that expression again, it's shifted to the collective and to being part of a community and to being raw and imperfect and authentic, which I tend to prefer. And so that's really changed the game, both with social media and in general of how we even talk to people. So Instagram was set up to be a curated feed. And so it's having a hard time keeping up with this raw, authentic, in the moment, uh, vision that everyone has and wants to see. So TikTok has just appeared when that's what everyone wanted to to see and hear and and digest. So I think it's made it a little harder for people to grow. I think TikTok, you can have a video go viral and get a million views and still not get followers because you don't really have anything else to share. So I don't necessarily think it's the same as it used to be, where if you get a million likes, that equates to people being interested in you. It just means they're interested in that piece of content. So if you really are looking to build a following, you have to be offering almost a subscription to what you are. I kind of view an Instagram or a brand, like what are people subscribing to? What are they going to be getting from you on a regular basis? So I think it's made it harder for a lot of people. It's also made it easier for a lot of people who just naturally had a lot of content that and, and a vision they wanted to talk about. But for artists in particular, specifically fine artists who don't have comedy or writing or any of that kind of thing, or whose art might take two weeks instead of a 30 second clip, it's definitely a, a challenge to figure out what kind of content to put forward as an artist. And that's something that I'm still navigating through myself. I agree. Because I agree with all this that you're saying. Obviously, this is what we do. We, we're on TikTok. Um, and so what you're saying about the piece that like 
keeps coming people people coming every day is what we call like the journey oriented content where it's like what you said like a subscription type of thing mm-hmm. um we always tell people to make something feel like it's a journey like i'm on a journey to ours was ours was i'm on a journey to find the happiest person in the world um <laughs> and all, all different the people that i see performing well are typically on journeys and so there's like a thread between their videos so it's not just like one viral video you go to their page and none of the other stuff relates to what you engaged with on the for you page that they gave yeah. you. Um, so I totally agree. Um, and I also agree that it's hard for fine artists. I see where you're coming from because on TikTok, you need to be consistent and you need to be posting every day. Yeah. And when your art takes two weeks, it's, it presents a huge obstacle. So maybe for a fine artist, a possible route is doing the journey of creating the piece of art um, day by day. If you're someone yeah. that takes two weeks. But yeah, there's, it's really hard. And you're right. I, I personally am probably in a different niche. It's probably why, but I haven't been seeing a lot of fine art on social media besides like the stuff where people are like pouring paint, like big mm-hmm. buckets of paint. Um, but anyways, my question is, I understand how people can keep it interesting. It's about a journey that's compelling, but however, how do brands stay interesting? You work for brands, so you have a unique perspective on this. Um, you don't have to give us any secrets, um, but how do, how do brands keep it interesting? Because do they do the journey piece and then start to do more bottom of funnel stuff or do they just put themselves out there? And I guess it depends on the scale. Like Taco Bell is obviously a recognized brand, but can you speak to even brands that are smaller that people don't recognize their name yet? How do they get themselves out there without being too salesy? Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think you kind of mentioned it. Like you can't, be selling on social media anymore. That doesn't work the same way it used to. Again, because it's not about beauty and curation. It's about a narrative. It's about a story. It's about culture. And I think what brands need to do, big or small, is figure out how they can tap into culture in a really authentic way. What problem are they solving for people? Every product Every brand is really trying to solve a problem for someone, whether it's a a sweater vest or a taco, you're trying to solve something. So the question is, how can they show they're solving that problem in a way that feels relevant to where we're at in culture right now? And so I think it's not a one trick pony where what worked 20 years ago is going to work now even for these larger brands. I think sometimes even larger brands get stuck in what worked. Like if you look at, I'm going to use Neutrogena as an example. Uh, They had their big splash of water in the face and in the nineties and they never got rid of it. And yes, it's very recognizable. And I would say it's part of their brand image, but is there a way that they can do that to be more relevant now? Or are they going to kind of get lost in their older consumers. So I think if brands do want to bring in younger consumers and continue to stay relevant, they really have to look at what's happening in culture and kind of be responsive and make sure they're telling a story um, of how they're involved in culture versus just putting out pretty images and saying, buy this because that used to work and it no longer works anymore. Awesome. And I feel like, do you have a, a, unique perspective on how smaller brands can do well. So ones that like don't already have the recognition, is there anything different or would you just say it's the same answer for them? Because, um, if you're like, I feel like a smaller brand can't really grow as much if they're just trying to keep up with like new trending things and keep up with the culture that like, obviously it'll benefit them, but they need something to be posting every day. 
Um, and so what is like, what is their formula? Should they follow the journey piece that individuals do? Should they have an individual behind their content? Um, should they do influencer marketing? Should they do um, just their own like organic content? What's your take on that? I would say do it all, especially if yeah. you're trying to grow. Uh, it, it can't hurt to try every avenue. But I also think that um, smaller brands can take more risks. They have less people that are expecting similar results, less stakeholders that uh, are living off a legacy. So like Liquid Death, for example, of course, that's a very rebellious brand again, but they're doing some wild and crazy work. And that, that was just, they picked a name to get attention. That's it. And I think, um, and that's what their whole marketing is based off of. Like they kind of went with that and they're rolling with it. And they also did tons of, they became the concert goers alternative to holding a can. So they were trying to solve this problem for people that, you know, want to be holding a drink, but don't want to drink alcohol. That was like also a niche kind of problem they were solving. They had tons of influencer marketing and now they're just going wild with their stuff. But I think smaller brands can take risk. They can grab attention in new ways. I do think it's nice for some brands to be personified and have some people behind it. Like I always find it weird when a brand speaks as a brand like Taco Bell, you've never heard Taco Bell speak from the voice of Taco Bell. Uh, there's always kind of someone behind it. Even on our TikTok, we had a couple people that represented our brand and were the faces of it. Uh, or you can personify it like Duolingo. I bring up as a good example because they're quirky, they're weird, but they're, their TikTok has almost 7 million followers and they're doing some odd, weird stuff, but they're not trying to be the Duolingo owl. They're just like using the owl in a creative way. So I think smaller brands can try things and take way more risk than larger brands can. And I think, like you said, is there one way to do it? No, I think you got to see where they are. So if you're a smaller brand that is trying to get maybe an older demographic, you're going to have to try something different than when you're trying to get the forever 21 year olds, you know? So try it all and see what sticks is really the trick of marketing. I think in general. I agree. I totally agree with you. Um, as we start to close, I have one, a couple of more quick questions, but um, you mentioned that Taco Bell had like several individuals on their page um, that would promote the content. Um, would, would you recommend people have one person behind their own page? Like for example, like Taco Bell's TikTok page, obviously you could have more individuals with influencer marketing, but would you recommend them have one individual or do you think, um, multiple individuals is fine? Well, to some, be honest, yeah. it depends who that individual is. If someone get it, the only risk with having one individual is if that individual decides that they want to go somewhere, your whole marketing campaign and what you've built around is gone in an instant. Like we used to say, hey, we need to make sure we have backups because if this individual decides they want to go to another brand, like we don't have a TikTok anymore. So I do think it's important. Like if your brand is about the person or the influencer or they're invested in it, that's totally different. But I wouldn't put all your eggs in one person unless they are like invested in the company and you know, they're not going anywhere. There's always the risk. They're going to take their brand, your brand with them wherever they go. That's true. I think there's like a unique case study with uh, Subway and how like they really took off with their uh, uh, individual 
behind their stuff, but he isn't a part of it anymore. But I guess, yeah, it's just like having individuals that you can source through time. Maybe like your page has different individuals, but they have like their own journey and then maybe for two weeks, it's one person and two weeks, it's another person. I just, I don't know how I feel about going to a page and then having like several different individuals, then it starts to feel like a brand and I'm being sold and it's not as engaging. But I think with like a super big brand like Taco Bell, you have the ability to do something like that. But someone that's trying to grow, someone that's trying to grow like a new brand or something smaller, I personally I suggest a, I, one person. Yeah. If it's a small brand, it, there's going to be less people involved anyway. And then it is nice to get familiar with someone and to recognize someone. I think no matter what you want brand recognition. And if your brand recognition is through a person, then that's part of your brand. And then you just have to make sure that you're building beyond that. Because like I said, if that person's not part of the brand or they're not invested, they could leave and you need to make sure you're okay when they go. But when it is a smaller brand, you want to be able to recognize, hey, I come across this TikTok and I see the first two seconds of someone with their hook. That's going to be recognizable even before you see what the brand is. So I agree with you. I do think it's important to not have 20 different people if you're a new brand and you're really trying to get people to recognize you right off the bat. That's awesome. I really enjoyed this conversation on marketing. I can tell that you are a seasoned (laughs) professional in this space. Like I know that social media wasn't the only thing that you were doing, but um, it shows that you have knowledge in this space too. So it's really nice to be able to learn from each other and have this conversation. I do want to shift for like the last few minutes um, to questions about happiness and fulfillment. Obviously you're in a place right now where, um, you were used to being at Taco Bell for seven years. You had this routine work for them. You know, what you're doing there. Um, what is it? How are you feeling? How are you feeling right now? I feel like you're in a very vulnerable space to be like completely out of there and like out of that routine. I'm actually, you got me on a good day and it's a <laughs> wild ride when you, when you leave a job. And we talked about this earlier where, So much of your identity can be locked up in what your profession is and what your career is. And one of the biggest things I've learned is that I am not defining myself as a marketer. I have so much more to offer than that. And that's been part of my self-discovery journey in the last few months while I'm head to my next career. And even while I enter a new job to make sure that I don't define myself too much by my new title or my new position, because although that's very important and it is a signifier of success, it's not everything and it doesn't make you happy or not. And happiness to me is a state of mind and it can change just depending on my thoughts that day. And today I actually feel super optimistic, great, and generally very happy. And it's not tied in to my career right now, which I think is the most important part. Are there any other important factors for when you do feel happy like this? Have you like been able to capture what are some of the most important pieces to you to have like joy in your life? Um, Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things you do? Do you stay present? Is family an important piece? What's up? I think figuring out what you're grateful for listing. I have my gratitude lists. I go out in nature. You know, I moved to California and for the last seven years up until three months ago, I didn't live close enough to the ocean. And now I'm walking distance. And to me, whenever I'm feeling a little down, I'll just walk to the ocean and it's almost impossible not to remind yourself almost how small we are and how little all everything matters. And so I just try to stay grateful for everything I have for 
my health, for my home, for my friends, for my family, for all of that. And that instantly, I can't not be happy if I have at least one thing to be grateful for. And I think we all have at least one thing we can say, even if we're not feeling happy at the moment, there's probably something that we can be grateful for. Yeah. Even like minor things like the, the way your feet feel between on this rug, like you can be grateful for tiny things for having that rug, for having your house. Um, and like really quick, I also like, am a love going to the ocean for that reason. And I've been trying to figure out why that's like a common thing for people. And I noticed that like, when I look out over the horizon, over the ocean, it's really hard to think about anything else. Like it's so distracting. You have so much stimulation in your eyes, your peripherals are being used in a way that aren't ever normally used. Um, and something about it, I like realize I cannot think anxious thoughts, but I'm like forcing myself to just look over the ocean. Um, I, I suggest you like, I implore you to try and like, see, and just like listen to your thoughts as you're doing it. It's like so hard to like have an anxious thought slash anxious thought patterns while you're looking over the ocean. And I don't know what it is about it, but it's pretty interesting. Um, Thank you so much for your answer. Um, it seems like you're happy today, but are you happy in general? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I'm, I'm a happy person and I'm happy in general. And it really is all in my, it's in your own head, you know? So uh, it's not any outside thing that's making me happy. I'm just, I'm grateful to be who I am in this life. And Yes, I can confidently say that I'm happy. That's awesome. And I envy the fact that you have like the ability to do like fine art and have like that form of expression. Um, Cause that's not something that like everybody has, like everybody can write and use journalism um, and writing as like an artistic form of expression, but not everybody can draw and paint and do that. I guess everybody can, it's just not going to be like something that they love for everyone or enjoy doing maybe it's frustrating for some people um have you i guess i want to as we close i want to ask you a question about that like what is your take on people on like that piece like can you coach someone who has no experience in like creating art and, and coach them or no someone has no interest no experience can't do it well doesn't have the natural gift um can someone have you seen anyone build that skill start to actually enjoy it um, and become like a good artist for themselves at least. Yeah. And we're talking specifically about visual art, but yes, I have. And I think frustration comes from having a high standard for yourself and not being able to get there right away. And I'll say every single medium, every single thing takes practice. It's the same as dancing or singing or any kind of sport, anything. And so I think people assume that because some people are born naturally with a gift, that if they weren't born naturally with that gift right out of the womb, that they're not an artist or they're not capable. And part of being an artist is practicing a skill the same way you practice, practice anything else and not getting frustrated. And it's not for everyone, but I have seen that a lot of people enjoy the process. And I really teach in my workshops to enjoy the journey, not the destination. And I admit that I create a lot of pieces of crap before I create one thing that I like. And that's natural, but that's what social media hides. And that's why it's good to see that like 
people make a lot of ugly things um, that they don't share. And so part of what I share is my journey and the process. And I found that people have appreciated the meditative state they find themselves in when they're creating, whether or not their end piece is ready to be framed or not. And for me, that's really what being a creative is all about. It's about the discovery and the self-expression and the journey. It's, it's not about the outcome at all. That's awesome. I had a, a buddy that told me he got really into coloring books for a couple of weeks and it was a very peaceful activity for him. And it just like, I feel like that just goes to show that like that doing art and like doing fine art, visual art has like a lot of benefits in terms of like your mental well-being. Um, is there any piece of advice? Because obviously everyone's art is unique to them, but is there some direction you can give to someone who's never done art before something you can tell them as a piece of advice to get started? Yes. Just do it. (laughs) Um, Take out a supply scribble. If it turns into a journal slash piece, don't try to be perfect. I think one, a couple lessons I learned is one, create something and then rip it up. Don't form attachment to whatever you're creating. Don't create a whole story about your life based on the one ugly drawing you did. I think maybe even blindfold yourself and just grab a bunch of random supplies and and color. And it's more about the act of getting it out there. So I really think anything you can do to practice the, the journey part of, of art is important or, or create super large, or I heard someone recommend, uh, use a permanent marker and don't erase and just keep going and, or don't lift up your pen or, There's a lot of techniques you can practice to just get your hand moving. And that's really all you need to do. Commit to 10 minutes of, I'm just going to scribble here for 10 minutes and see what happens. And so I think if people can get out of the mindset that there has to be a final execution that they're happy with, they'll start enjoying the process of art more than the the finished piece. That's incredible. I'm glad I've been able to talk to you and give our audience this advice because I feel like a lot of people see fine art as something that they're just if they can't do it they can't do it everybody else who does it is just naturally gifted but the way that this advice that you've given is definitely going to be very useful for people just get in there just fall in love with the process and that's how you're going to want to keep doing it um, yeah. and also just just start and like like you said just scribble like anything that comes out comes out and not have a personal attachment to it I really like all those pieces of pieces of advice um, Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We talked about marketing and then we got into a conversation about art and fine art. And I really enjoyed it. And we also talked a little bit about happiness. Um, So thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm looking forward to staying in touch. And if there's anything else that you didn't add that you would like to add, feel free to say it now. Maybe something that you typically tell people as a piece of advice or um, maybe something that you thought about while in our conversation that you didn't get the chance to say. I want to give you the floor briefly to be able to uh, talk about that. I would just say that everyone goes through imposter syndrome where they feel like they're not good enough or that they're faking it or that whether it's in marketing or whether it's as an artist or whether it's they're trying to start something and they're worried about failure. 
people fail at things they don't even love. So you might as well fail at something you do love and fail enough times until you don't anymore. And I think we all feel like imposters and we're all faking it till we make it. And we all are pretending to be different titles and roles. And I'm pretending to be an adult right now. So I think just know that you're not alone and that there's no harm in at least attempting because the people that succeed are the ones that did. It doesn't mean they're any more talented or not. It's the people that actually put action behind their thoughts. And so I guess Nike said it best, but just do it, you know? I appreciate that. And let's leave it off on that. That's a really hard way to end it. <laughs> um, uh, thank you so much for being on Jess. Um, yeah. Is there some way that our audience can reach you? Yeah. Find me on Instagram. If you're still using it, the antiquated social media at manifest.jess. And I respond to people and I engage with the community there. So maybe one day I'll make it to TikTok, but I'm a little slow to the game. So find me on Instagram. Thank you so much, Jess. Appreciate being on again. Yeah. Thank you again. 